I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. Chatsky has been working for almost three decades to change the way people, especially women, think about money, and most importantly, our relationship with money. She's provided thoughtful, practical advice to millions of viewers on the Today Show, and now she shares her wisdom through a company she founded called Her Money Media, which also includes an amazing podcast called Her Money, so I urge you all to tune in. Jean has written countless articles and books related to personal finance. Her latest book, released just this month, is called Women with Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and, yes, Rich Life You Deserve. We'll talk to Jean about how she got where she is and what inspires her about her work how she's overcome personal obstacles, and how she sees personal finance as an important component of our overall leadership journey. Jean, I am delighted to be with you here today in New York City in your amazing studio. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you, too. Welcome, welcome to She Said, She Said. Many people are familiar with your work, with your appearances on the Today Show, with your books and your articles, but most may not know how you got your start. How did you get here? I started by trying to be a journalist and then trying to be a business journalist. My my first job out of college was at a magazine called Working Woman that doesn't exist anymore. And I was the assistant to the business editor, which was the job that was open at the time. I got to do traditional assistant things like answering her phone and and fetching coffee. But I also got to write some stories about companies and careers and management and money. And I was really interested in that. I had been an English major in college, but a math geek in high school. And it was really a good fit for me to learn that numbers could play an important part in telling stories. I left Working Woman after uh, almost two years and tried to go into more of a hardcore business magazine and couldn't get a job. Hmm. A a lot of magazines looked at Working Woman and thought that it didn't have the chops. I didn't have the chops in order to write about business for a Forbes or a Fortune. And so I floundered for a little while but ended up getting a job on Wall Street in equity research working at Dean Witter for a couple of years and learning financial statements and how to read an annual report, how to actually talk to a leader of a company and used that job to get me back into Forbes magazine. I went from Forbes to Smart Money. I was on the launch team at Smart Money, which was a big step into personal finance at a time when people were being forced into a position of having to take more responsibility for our own money. This was right around the time that 401ks were invented that people were backing off pensions, that we were being asked to pay more for our health care each year. We were starting to have doubts about Social Security and Medicare. And I just 
found my stride. I really enjoyed it. I ended up talking about some of the stories that I wrote, some of the other stories on television got picked up on the Today Show. That was about 25 years ago. And and I've been doing it ever since. I know you toyed with the decision of going back to get your MBA at one point and opted not to. And I know this is a consideration for an awful lot of young people who say, okay, I'm a few years into my career. This would be the time. But do I really want to take on all that debt? How did you make that decision? I just didn't want to go back to school. I, I didn't want to take on the debt. That was that was for sure. But I loved college more outside the classroom than inside the classroom. I, I really knew that about myself, and I just wasn't ready to crack open the books again. I, I felt like I had the ability to learn a lot through reporting and, and talking to people about the interesting work that they were doing, and I, I liked that. Um, but it wasn't wasn't really a hard decision for me at the time. Yeah. I've heard you say that you often have had to force yourself to say yes to things, even when they're scary or took you out of your comfort zone. And this, I can't even begin to tell you, it's a theme that comes up repeatedly on this podcast. But I know in one interview that I listened to, you talked about how you would get physically ill in the early days on the Today Show. Talk about how you overcame that. That's really hard. Just practice. And, and I, did a, I did theater. In high school, I did theater in college. And the night before opening night, the night of opening night, I would also get physically ill. I just, my stomach would just go. And I had that same experience on the Today Show the first two years, basically, that I was doing it. But I, I, I really wanted to do it. I really enjoyed being around a television station. I thought it was exciting. It was, I knew, going to open a lot of doors for me. I I was lucky when I started doing the Today Show to have um, a couple of people sort of sit down with me and say, if you do this right, it will change your life. And so I didn't want to squander that opportunity. And as a result, I not only kept saying yes to going back on today, but I I, I made myself say yes to other things that scared me. I, I not like jumping out of a plane or or bungee jumping because I would never say yes to either of those things. But somebody asked me to write a book and I had never really thought about writing a book, but I wrote a book. Somebody asked me to give a speech. I never really thought about that either, but I said yes. I wrote a speech. I gave a speech. Again, I was petrified. I I am sure it was a terrible speech, but I got through it and, and have continued to run my career that way. Um, I think we make the mistake of assuming that, that life and, and our career paths but also just life is going to go in a certain way. And if it deviates, that's a problem. It's the deviations that are that are fun and exciting, yeah. if you can get yourself to say yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you also, no doubt, found that by continuing to put yourself in a position of challenging yourself to, to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, if the case, as the case may be, that you're building your confidence, right? It gets easier and easier the more you do it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I tell people this about 
talking about money, that no, it's not fun the first time you do it, and it's probably not fun the second and third time you do it. But by the time you get to number four and five and six and so on, it becomes easier. It becomes routine. It can become fun depending on what you're talking about. We think that we are hardwired to be able to do all of these things well. There's so much of career and money and life that we get better with with practice. Mm. And we just need to give ourselves the time to practice. Yeah. You lay out a three-part plan in the book, in Women With Money, to really build your financial confidence. Walk us through those three parts, if you will. Sure. So part one is understanding yourself when it comes to money. And we all know that money has the ability to make us emotional, to make us irrational sometimes, to make us do things that are not necessarily in our own best interest. I mean, when you think about it, we all know the right thing to do with money. We're supposed to save more and we're supposed to spend less, just like like we all know the way to lose weight. And yet we don't do it because we're not wired to do it, because people haven't been given the strategies to do it. And because we're carrying a lot of baggage whether or not we realize it, from childhood. We all grew up in a household of origin where money was a factor in one way or another. And it's not what you were taught about money. It's not the save and spend and share jars that maybe you had on your dresser. It's the undercurrent of finance that was in your household. Was there tension? Was there fighting? Was there joy around the holidays or or was there sadness around the holidays and and it seeped in even if nobody ever talked to you about it and as a result you grew up into this person that is still carrying all of this around with you if you haven't looked at it yet and only by looking at it and understanding it can you start to change it so Understanding yourself when it comes to money is step one. Understanding your partner, if you have a partner, is step one and a half. And then once you've got a grip on who you are and why you behave the way that you do, then you can get tactical with your money. And that's part two. I I asked women in doing my research for this book, hundreds of women, what do you want? from your money? Because that's the big question, right? It's your choice. It's your money. This is why you work. So what do you want? And we want security. We want homes. We want to invest for our future and know that we're not going to run out of money. All of those tactical things are in part two, how how to get there. And investing is a really, really big part of it because we lack confidence when it comes to investing. And then part three is using our money to create the world that we want. And that can mean creating kids who launch, you know, helping our kids get to the point where they can become fully formed, independent grownups. It is helping our parents if they need help, which is a position a lot of your listeners are in, I know. It's leaving a legacy. Um, We want to make the world a better place. We want to do it through giving. We want to do it through investing. We want to do it through leadership. We want to do it by good management of our own time. So that's that's the three parts in yeah. a nutshell. I'm struck by 
the first pe- first step, that self-awareness piece, which which tracks and parallels so nicely to the way in which we should be thinking about our career journey, right? That self-awareness about why we do what we do or what's important to us is as important as it relates to building your career as it is to your finances, which certainly makes perfect sense. I've just never really heard it explained quite that way. So I think it's I think it's really brilliant. Thank you. From your standpoint, as you think about your own money story, did you what what did you learn about yourself as you began to reflect in that manner? I um, I have known for a long time that I'm hardwired for safety. I'm 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 fairly conservative, and I have to push myself to be aggressive, and I I do push myself to take more risks with my money because I know that for my future that is exactly what I need to do. Looking more deeply at my money story explains that. I mean, I, I was raised in a household where there was enough money, but there wasn't an excess of money. Um, my parents were. Definitely uh, conservative. They 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 did things to to scrimp and to save with regularity. Things that I noticed. I mean, I every Wednesday night we had macaroni and cheese and tuna fish for dinner. I don't think I realized, um, you know, that that's a pretty frugal meal. It was always a treat because it was the good kind of craft macaroni and cheese, where the cheese came out of a can instead of out of an envelope. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I sort of got that in, in hindsight. You know, my, my mother had the ability to marinate the hell out of a chuck steak and make it taste like a filet, right? You don't really grasp that until you take a step back and you actually look at it. Let's talk about building your own business. You've done that. And you talk in the book about opportunity entrepreneurs versus necessity entrepreneurs. What's the difference and which one were you? The difference is that opportunity entrepreneurs see a niche in the marketplace and they go after it. And often they want to build big, big companies. Necessity entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs who need to earn a living. And I started as a necessity entrepreneur and have morphed into an opportunity entrepreneur. I launched a business because I got fired. Um, I got fired from Money Magazine. I had become a little bit too expensive for them. I looked for another job to replace that source of income, couldn't find one at that current salary, and decided, all right, I have some clients because I had been exploring side gigs of my own for, for a number of years. I'm just going to get more of those. And so I, I started a company. I hung out a shingle. I grew that business, which is was basically in the business of, of content creation for, um, for magazines, publications, media outlets, as well as for corporate clients. I, but I launched Her Money Media last year, which is a website. We have live events. We've got a podcast because I saw a gap in the marketplace when it comes to trusted information for women about money. Over and over, I go out and I speak to large groups of women, and they ask me, how can I find somebody I can trust? Yeah, absolutely. So on that topic of getting laid off, this is something that is an all-too-common occurrence. What's your advice for you obviously can't plan to be fired, right? <laughs> but if you see the writing on the wall, the economy's taking a hit, you know, you can sort of predict that things are not going so well. What's your advice for people 
to kind of plan to make sure that they're in the best possible position that they can be and should the, you know, the worst thing happen? You know, one of the most surprising articles I ever wrote was about a surprise retirement um, because I had come across a few anecdotal examples of it. It is hugely common. People are often forced into not just a layoff but a a surprise retirement, and you need to be prepared for that. My advice is to always be networking, to always be having lunch and looking for that next connection and not to wait until you're really looking for a job. You want to you want to be out there and you want to be talking to people at all times so that if you do need to pick up the phone and start looking for work, that will be an easy call to make. Um, and I also uh, think that the best way to set yourself up for something like this is to be an aggressive saver and investor for your own future. And that's something that we need to build a habit of through our entire lives so that if we do get laid off, we're not immediately putting things on our credit cards. We've got a financial safety net. Yeah. Many wise people have said, money does not buy happiness. That is true. (laughs) Give me your philosophy. Sort of how do the two pieces fit together? So I wrote a whole book on this. And the way that it makes sense to me is that if you are struggling, if you are having trouble paying the mortgage or the rent, if you're having trouble fixing your car because you don't have enough money to do that and it's tough to get back and forth to work, if the idea of a vacation is a pipe dream, more money will absolutely make you more happy because you haven't achieved that base level of comfort. But once you get there, the additional returns that you get for more money start to taper off until you get to a point where more money doesn't really make you more happy. And if you can wrap your brain around that, it starts to free you up to make decisions about how you want to use your time. You know, people think that money is a limited resource, which it is, you know, no question. Money is a limited resource. We do need to make choices. But time is the more limited resource. You know, we can get more money. We can't get more than 24 hours in a day. Absolutely. Jean, when should we seek a financial advisor? How do we know? You know because you feel like you need one. That That's the real barometer. You have questions about your money that you can't answer. You need a financial advisor. Or you're at a point of transition in your life. You're having a baby. You're getting married. You are starting a business. You're looking at retirement in five to ten years. You came into an inheritance. Good things, bad things. The first time I talked to a financial advisor was about whether or not I could afford, with my ex-husband, by the way, to spend X amount of dollars on a house. Could we have answered that question ourselves? Probably. But we wanted somebody else to look at it. And we sat down with this guy for two hours. We answered the question, and we didn't talk to him again for a long, long time. People are under the mistaken impression that 
if you want to talk to a financial advisor, you have to hand over all of your money and pay them 1% a year in order to manage it. It's just not true. It's much easier to talk to an advisor than it ever used to be. You can talk to one for free often through your retirement plan at work. You can find an advisor who will charge you an hourly rate. You can find advisors who will now charge you by a monthly subscription. I mean, there there's so many different models. So, you know, it's just like you feel like you need to go to the doctor. You probably need to go to the doctor. You feel like you want to get some financial advice, then go see a financial advisor. Yeah. Your book provides a lot of great advice, including red flags to watch out for as it relates to advisors. But I want to pivot and talk a bit about our kids and money. It can be really difficult in one's 20s and 30s to think about saving for retirement. And part of that may be because of the fact that the notion of personal finance isn't always presented to us as children. And it varies, obviously, pretty yeah. dramatically. Now it's not really taught in school for the most part. I know you work a lot with my old firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers, on a financial literacy project, which is great. But when is the best time to start talking to kids about finance, and how do you go about doing that? You start when they're really, really young. You start when you're pushing them through the grocery store and you just carry on a running dialogue about the fact that, well, this week we're going to buy Post Raisin Bran instead of Kellogg's Raisin Bran because Post Raisin Bran is on sale. And if you look at the unit pricing, you can see this one is 12 cents an ounce and this one is 10 cents an ounce and 10 cents is less. So it's better. And you just go from there. And as your kids get older, you put some money in their hands through an allowance or through at-home jobs so that they can start to make choices about how they're going to allocate their resources. You you force them, essentially, to make those choices by telling them that you are no longer going to pay for X, Y, and Z. And now if they want snacks when they're in the grocery store, they should bring their wallet. They should bring their money. You make sure that when you pull money out of the ATM, you explain to your kids how that money got into the ATM to begin with and that when you swipe the credit card, you have a bill to pay because it arrives via email or in the mail. Part of the problem is that money has just become so invisible, right? We we often um, don't see it anymore. And that makes it harder and harder to explain. And then as your kids get into high school, I think it's imperative that they work um, because they're never going to feel the value of a dollar that you give them as much as they are a dollar that they earn. And if your kids are expected to borrow for college, please start having those conversations early and explaining to them that there are choices when it comes to college, colleges and how much they cost and that they are empowered to make some of those decisions based on how much they want to have to pay back when they graduate. Yeah. Jean, you talk about legacy in the book. When you think about, and, and legacy in the context of the book is more about what, you know, we think about as our own legacy as it relates to money and what we want to accomplish with it. But when you think about your own legacy, what do you hope that will be and what impact do you hope you will have had? I hope to make 
more women more confident when it comes to managing their own money. That I mean, that bottom line, that's what it is. Whether we are making decisions about how we invest for retirement or college, whether we're making decisions about how we raise our kids, whether we're just trying to have a conversation with our spouse or do something hard like asking for a raise, my goal and the goal of our whole team at HerMoney.com is to improve the confidence of women so that we can use this tool because that's what money really is. It's a tool to get the lives we want. At at Her Money, we like to say that life is the target. Money is the tool. And, And that's the goal. You want to live the life you want. We want to help you. Jean, we ask every person who comes on, she said, she said, to leave us with a single piece of advice, a life hack, or a mantra. You've already given us some amazing advice, but is there something that you refer to that's kind of your North Star that you want to share with us? Personal finance is more personal than finance. Don't let anybody tell you that you're doing it wrong because it's your life and it's your money. Jean, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. To learn more about Jean, check out the show notes from today's episode. Also note that Jean takes listeners' questions on her podcast, Her Money, so be sure to tune in. We'll include links to Jean's website and to the Her Money podcast in the show notes from today's episode. We're also excited that She Said, She Said has been added to the iHeartMedia lineup as well as to PodCoin. And on PodCoin, you can actually earn money for things, including your favorite charities. Use our promo code at She Said, S-H-E-S-A-I-D, to take advantage and to get bonus monies just for listening to us. As you know, we love our listeners and we are so incredibly grateful for you. Thank you for listening and for being part of the She Said, She Said Network.